So what are you feeling for an intro? I don't know. I really didn't plan anything. I didn't want to plan anything. I just kind of wanted to talk about like where we're at now and how it might feel different from when we started. Well, yeah. Where do, where do you think we're at now? So we've been doing these tapings since August, I think. And I think we went into this series kind of not knowing what it was going to be and expecting it to be a mixture of psychology, psychiatry, philosophy, spirituality, neurology, you know, any of those areas. And I suppose the expectation was that it would veer in some specific direction, and it does seem to be veering, but it's hard to say in what direction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. To me, it feels like it's evolving on its own. It's becoming its own thing. I think when we started taping, I had such an expectation that like, oh, this is something we're being called upon to do because we're in a pandemic and we need to make sure that content about mental health is being released and that's going to be really important. And I still feel that it's important work, but I think I'm over the earnestness hump of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm over the... uh, presentation hump of it which Mm. is an interesting thing to say given that we haven't presented it yet (laughs) (laughs) and i feel similarly though because the way that i went into it was i don't want to say school kind of scripted i mean we didn't have like a script i mean but we had like a plan and it was partly that like i thought that was kind of how things were going to be structured and that we had this sort of an obligation just dealing with subjects like these to treat them that way And at the same time, I was viewing it like selfishly speaking as just like a science experiment of just like what will happen if I'm pretty much fully vulnerable on a thing that we're going to be taping for long enough before we release it, that I will be fully assimilated into that situation. I'll be just used to that routine and comfortable with it to where I'll let my guard down. But then at a certain point it will come out. So I was kind of like, I wonder what's going to happen to me. mentally you know just like will I learn something will I grow and I've actually kind of like moved away from the scripted and from those subjects like you were saying like it's kind of veered I felt like part of that veer was like just realizing how uh freestanding those angles are of these subjects like if you want to take a psychological lens on some of these topics like that's like eight years of schooling let alone a podcast episode you know like with so much that goes into that platform that you then have to stand on And then just also being this vulnerable in a longer form thing that is like being taped prior to being released. It's kind of a weird, like there is a different kind of a composure that I am still learning. And, you know, it's, it's strange. I've never experienced it before this. Yeah. You know, I've offered a lot of vulnerability while interviewing people for Friday Night Folk. In terms of a show that is a long-form conversation that is taped and that is aired and that demonstrates vulnerability, the process of getting there is often what needs more vulnerability. So like that, that part I'm used to, and that's what I think you're saying, is like sitting in a vulnerable spot with each other for two hours while taping is what you need to assimilate to. And being, not just being interviewed, you know, like... That was that was the biggest change was I can sit there for two hours and be interviewed about any number of my demons and feel relatively comfortable with it, as comfortable as I could be talking about those things. But I don't have any real aversion with the exception of a few subjects. But 
when it's something that your name is on or something that you're kind of, you know, we're pitching this. Like there's going to be a day where we put this out and say, listen to this, it's worth it. And that's when I'm like, shit, there's this extra hurdle in there now of like, you know, how do I want people to know me? Which is not to say that it would change from how people know me, but it's just like, it's a weird, there's like a passivity involved when you do an interview, I think. That's different from when your name is actually on this thing. And I, I just noticed it from listening to podcasts a lot that each week I got a stronger sense of who I thought these hosts were. And realizing that like, shit, this is how that happens. They just tape a bunch of stuff and they get better at it and they grow and you learn about them more. So that, yeah, that scared the shit out of me at a certain point in the beginning. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> I got to stop drinking so much coffee before these. I got to chill out. <laughs> But that was also part of it. So I was like, well, that's on tape, that growth. So I was just going to mention that when we first started taping these episodes, you know, I, I leaned into what I thought the show would ultimately become and what it would say about me and what it would say about our mission statement, which I think was not unwise, but it made an assumption about what the show should sound like and what the delivery of these topics should entail. And then a few sessions in, it started becoming therapy for me. <laughs> <laughs> so when we started, I wasn't seeing a therapist at the time. And now I am for many reasons. But among the reasons are that I do want to make sure that sitting down with you to tape these episodes is not therapy for me, because that's a burden to you. I mean, I don't mind it, man, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that, that's the other thing, too, is like the way that we taped the first few episodes didn't feel like therapy sessions for me. And I feel like the way that we're taping them now, you know, a, a dozen episodes later, when we sit down, it does feel like we're being vulnerable and not just presenting facts and not just presenting our own stories. Um, I feel more comfortable being vulnerable taping these. But I think a lot of that is I'm more comfortable knowing that this isn't my therapy. And so it, it takes that pressure off of you and off of the conversation itself almost in that like it can open the way to a certain type of thinking, but it doesn't have to point me in any direction. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of proud of how we, the way we started it and the way it's progressed were the only ways that it could have like organically gone when you think about it, because everything from just the first like phone conversations or whatever when we realized like we ought to just try this at some point and just see what the hell happens it might be fun and taking that into a like all right we actually have to have a vague sense of what we're going to be doing if we're going to do it and i remember the plan that we came up with was like well let's start it pretty rigid and pretty finite and just see not super rigid but like have kind of a scaffolding and come up with a few options and things that we can like test out and stuff early and just start taping them for the hell of it. And if something isn't feeling right, that will present itself on, on air, basically. And uh, then we had another conversation, like three or four in, about like, well, let's just kind of keep going, I guess. Because they've been getting more and more fun and more and more natural. It's like, well, I mean, let's just not stop. And we haven't. So it's like, that feels like the best balance of like, we were pumping the brakes when we needed to, just to make sure we weren't overlooking something like we would converse about these things but we also weren't so rigid that we were like well no this is the idea we had at three forty-five in the morning on the phone and because <laughs> it's entirely possible that that would be wrong at some point and uh 
I don't know. It just feels like a good balance to me. It feels like something that can grow, but it's also, that's the best way we could have played it. Yeah. Cause I don't feel like our format over these 10 or 12 episodes has changed at all. Like our goal for how it's presented hasn't really changed. What has changed is the tonal presentation. Yeah. Yeah. And it just feels more free flowing now. So I'm excited. Like for our listeners, this is us decompressing after having taped however many episodes. And, you know, once you get a few episodes in, it really has gone back to how we talk on the phone. And that's been like the best thing about the evolution of the show so far. first day we taped I realized two things that I was like I gotta figure this out like the first one was like oh my god I don't know Joel's timing which felt weird because I was like we've talked on the phone for I don't know how many hours cumulatively we've talked in person a ton we've done shows I've been on your podcast like that's why I was like oh this yeah you know I know him but then I was like no I don't like it took me like a year to learn Alan's timing from just doing comedy shows with him because I was like that's a different thing I have to know when you're pausing versus when you're volleying. I also have to learn to listen in a different way than I do when I'm in a conversation with somebody or than I do on an interview. Because I like I, I think I brought it up at one point, but I nod most of the time instead of saying anything. <laughs> and there have been times where I've been like, fuck, that was dead air. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I've just been going, oh. <laughs> or I'm like gesturing. I'm like, you fucking idiot. You're on, it's only audio. Yeah. You've got to do something. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just learning all of these little things all over the place, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing the editing and the sound design and everything. So it's I'm learning through that process where the pressure doesn't need to be. And I think that like once you hear the f- a few of the finished products, you'll learn that as well. Like it doesn't you don't have to not nod. <laughs> you can nod all you want. <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's kind of like what I what I started learning a few episodes in once I started listening back to them is there's more that is able to be delivered than just the topics and just our ability to discuss them. There's we have a very good like organic conversational flow, but what I'm actually looking forward to is what I have never done before with Friday Night Folk or anything like that, which is the design of the conversation. Yeah. And like what it looks like in post. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I have my sights set on right now as we're getting ready to launch. Like I, I would love for these conversations to really be experienced and not just heard. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's something we can do a lot of or all of, as opposed to just trying to take a week to become experts in something that, takes a lifetime and then like we could do like 10% of that like if we study up and learn which isn't to say that we don't read and stuff <laughs> like we don't like you know we learn about the shit we're about to talk about but to go in with that being your premise and saying we're going to convey this information we can't do that justice really but we can kind of like do those long form conversations where we start in one place and we work our way through it together and bounce it off of each other and stuff and get to sometimes an entirely different topic, let alone an entirely different opinion. But 
it, I don't know, it relates. And I feel like to me, that was like the part of this that had value because I'm, I'm perpetually afraid of this being self-indulgent. That's, I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I don't think we are personally, just because I feel like we both have enough depression going that we're not going to just like do that inherently. We might fall for it here and there, but I'm always going to be a little afraid of that. But that's something that I feel like we can offer is like the end of the day, we're both probably alive because of our ability to look at some certain topics this way. I know I am. It's just like, I would literally be dead if it weren't for half of the conclusions and parables and shit that we talk about on here. It's like, these were things that I realized at three in the morning when I was like about to fucking kill myself or something and realizing, oh no, wait, this is actually where I should go or this is the answer or whatever. Like, And some of the processes that lead there, like those are the things that have formed me as a person and have given me this sense that I can go on another day. And I feel like that's what I want to convey to anyone who can get anything out of this. That's another reason that I felt it necessary to start real therapy. Like as an Enneagram 5, I am a collector of knowledge. And I love nothing more than learning about what I'm feeling. But the harder thing to do is develop a plan and actually like put into action the therapeutic work that needs to be done in order to deal with that feeling and fully feel that feeling. A lot of my emotional landscape, particularly during quarantine, I think, is like I, I get, you know, like we've talked about, like feeling curious about the suffering. I get curious about it and then I analyze it. And then I talk about what I have found through analysis as though I've undergone experimentation and am presenting lab results. And that's just me. That'll always be who I am because I love collecting knowledge. But if I don't also follow that feeling through, the feeling that made me curious in the first place, and allow myself to feel it, but instead dissociate from the feeling by learning about the feeling then that's not necessarily healthy because empathy doesn't happen through learning about empathy. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Empathy happens through exposure to the necessity for empathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's the angle that we can speak to with something like this is the empathy. We can, I don't know if we've mentioned this in other episodes, but we should probably pop the old uh, disclaimer in there, you know, of just, we in no way intend for this to be a substitute for anything or in no way purport our opinions to be expert. Like it's, this is just our kind of account and our way of fumbling our way to these friggin' conclusions and points, which is just honestly fun on some level. It's, it is how we get to this stuff, but we also have done it in conjunction with actual like real therapy or, um, you know, if you have to go on like medication or if you have to go to rehab or if you have to go to therapy or go to church or whatever, like, in no way are we trying to do this so that you don't have to do those things. This is just kind of another thing. Well, what I would say, having listened back to most of the conversations that we've taped, is that we tend to talk about our personal experiences, but we try to remove ourselves from our own experiences as much as possible and investigate the universality of whatever topic we're addressing. And in doing that, we tend to do some textbook definitions of things. We tend to make it abstract and philosophical. We tend to talk about our personal experiences. So I guess like there's kind of always three lenses, the personal, the academic, and the abstract. 
or the philosophical. And, but at no point do we really give prescriptive advice. And at no point do we really claim that this is a substitute for therapy, like you said. Kind of the, the impetus for this show was that Matt and I both get a kick out of how universal our feelings are. And we find that out by talking about them. Yeah. <laughs> and the hope is that like certain things are only felt but rarely heard expressed in language. And that if we give ourselves the opportunity to express those things in language and to invite other people on the show to express their own lived experiences and felt experiences in that language too, then it just gives people the opportunity to hear that they're not alone. And so that's like kind of the most valuable thing that I've found being a writer, being a lyricist, being an artist, is that when you're creating you're hoping that people will understand what you're creating. The best way to convey what you mean is to expect that there is empathy and metaphor. Yeah. So I guess in the same way, there are microcosms of the human condition in all of these topics and in all of the conversations that we're going to have. So I think that's what we found so far, is that there is empathy to be found in the parsing out of why empathy is necessary. Yeah. You know what I Definitely, mean? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially now, too, because so, the world has screeched to a halt, and it's a terrifying place to be in a lot of ways right now. So it's... And it's it's very sad, too. Like, that's the other thing that doesn't get talked about as much, but it's it's a very just rough time right now and a very reflective time. And it's a good time to be trying to, like, find these connections, you know, because... It's hard to when the world's going at full speed. And I know I'm getting a lot out of just, even if we weren't taping these things, it's just kind of sick to have something like this to look forward to and to like be able to trust that like we're going to dive into this rabbit hole, but we'll get somewhere cool. You know, it's it's neat. I don't know. And I, I hope that that comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing about when we started, like, because I, I wasn't depressed yet when we started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was having a pretty okay summer. So I was just like, oh, cool, a new project. Let's do it. Yeah. And then like the whole month of August was was pretty difficult for me. So, and that's when I felt myself kind of needing this to be therapeutic more than I had expected it to be. In a weird way, I think that's when I started feeling the gratification or like the validation that the show was doing its job. Because even I was hearing in our conversations what they were intended to achieve. That's a good point, yeah. It is kind of a nice way of like checking our work in a way. No, I, I'm in the same boat, though. It, it really has been kind of soothing in those ways, and... Not in like the traditionally soothing way. Like we still will go to sometimes dark places or confusing places or whatever, but it's just, it's that trust. It's like knowing that we can not just trusting each other, but trusting that like you can go to these places and come back. I think that's the biggest kick I get out of those kinds of conversations is like, it's not real yet. Like you can build this whole thing up and tear it all down and build it up another. It's like a sandcastle. You know, you just screw around for a while and when it starts to make sense, try to remember it because the tide will come in. And it's nice. Like there's a piece to that. And uh, 
this has been such a strangely structured way to like keep remembering that truth that you know every week or whatever we we go into that place and every week it gets a little bit more like familiar and i've never had like a regular repeated exposure to that trust i've only ever had it in friendships and things which i always kind of considered to be passive or accidental in that respect like i always figured it was just something that came out of that relationship but now i'm realizing that it's its own thing like you can do this alone like you can just it's a fucking adventure you know there have been moments when i've gotten to a dark place not sure if it wasn't that i wasn't sure if i could be vulnerable with you because i always know that i can but it was not being sure that you would want to follow me there i was petrified for the trauma episode going into that, I think. Was that it? It was like our first one, or like our second one. Oh, the content warnings one? It might have been. Did we do one on like just straight up PTSD or something close to that? I, you would probably be thinking of the content warnings episode. Well, yeah, I was scared shitless going into that because not only had I never done this, but I was also like, oh God, <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm going to want to talk about it. Like, I'm going to know immediately whether or not this was a good idea. And, uh, and that was one of those, like, just a trust thing of like, well, but I trust Joel. I trust that we've worked this out. And that was such a colossal leap of faith because I was like, God, like, I've talked about that kind of shit in passing. But to sit there for an hour and a half and talk about the stuff where if I think about it for a split second, my day is fucked. And now I'm going to, like, talk about that. But it was like that twofold realization of, like, you still have agency in those moments. Like, nothing has to come out if you don't want it to if you think it's going to ruin your entire night or whatever. And also, you know, we, yeah, we're not going to eat each other alive for exposing like a, a weak spot or a vulnerable spot or a fear or something like, and it's a strange lesson because it sounds so obvious when you just say it, but to actually experience that with a person is such a different thing. And it's not something that I'm either accustomed to or will readily let happen because I'm generally an extremely private guarded person, I think with the exception of shit like this for some reason. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that exception exists because we're pretty good. I don't even know that we need to do it all that actively. I think that we tend to just feel seen with each other. We tend to share a lot of the areas where we need to be vulnerable, but have difficulty be, being vulnerable. You know, and, and it's fun. We've known each other for what? Not three years. No. Yeah. <laughs> but there is something about just like the first few conversations that we've had. And we've basically just been having the same conversation <laughs> and put it on pause and continue it yeah. for almost three years now. <laughs> and that's so wonderful. Like, honestly, like our friendship has been such a gift to me just to have somebody that I can go to those abstract places with and like no part of what we talk about is, is dogmatic or assumes that we'll ever reach a destination or a conclusion or a verdict yeah. for, for any of these topics. <laughs> and that's been the magical thing about it is that like we follow each other down the what if paths. Yeah. Then we just come back up and <laughs> get some air and then go down the next one. Yeah. And cause this is my belief about existentialism and, and what we've talked about a lot in these episodes is like the search for meaning and, you know, how do you have a, a holding pattern of meaninglessness or nihilism and then advance out of it and 
find significance in anything. And to me, as I just said, like, I, I collect knowledge. And I suppose that collecting philosophy goes hand in hand with that, or like collecting musings goes hand in hand with that. So for me, the meaning lies in the ability to postulate and to philosophize. So like, just to have somebody I can have those kinds of conversations with and then it's just like, all right, let's come up for air and then let's do the next one and let's explore all of these avenues. And to know that we're both committed to the exploration more than we're committed to arriving somewhere has been tremendously valuable for me. Oh, likewise, yeah. It's the fun part. It's like, I don't know, that's the part that's really worth doing, which isn't to say that the destination is anticlimactic, but it's you stop moving for a split second or something and then it's like, okay, I want to get going again like this was you know that was cool let's do that again it's like that kind of childlike feeling of like just exploring that's how it all feels to me it's i enjoy that What's the most valuable lesson that you've learned in doing these episodes so far about... I'm going to give you three to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) Vulnerability, mental health, or broadcasting? (laughs) I don't know. I'd say the most lessons have happened with the broadcasting side. I mean, I've talked about a couple of those just... Those have been the biggest things as far as new like eye-openers of like, whoa, I just didn't know about that or I had never experienced that. Like That's where those came from in the most like distilled ways because I think a lot of our overlap happens with like the vulnerability and the mental health stuff where there's definitely new ideas, there's new directions, there's things like that, but it's like we've had so much commonality in those worlds, but with something like like doing one of these things, but not being interviewed, like where there's not that specific dynamic where it starts and it ends and I go home and like, I cannot convey how not used to it I am and how much better I feel like I need to get at it every time we finish it, which is kind of, it's a good thing, but it's also a, like, that was a, I started doing the same thing I do with bar shows where I'll give myself like five fuck ups and afterwards I'll think about it and say, all right, like, let's fix those. And then it keeps me, like, going in the right direction. And it's it's cool. It's just an entirely new thing to, like, get excited about and learn about and try to not suck at a little less each time. And Like, have you ever skied and realized, like, you're on a thing you just shouldn't be on? Dude, I've never skied. But, like, you still... All right, well, so <laughs> if you ski on a thing that you shouldn't be on, <laughs> there's just that feeling of, like, oh, yeah, there's a mountain. Like, you remember that you're a skier yeah but you're just on blades going down this thing that's frozen and your best protection against the inevitable is these two spears and it starts to seem like an insane concept all of a sudden it's like it's that feeling of of like oh wow i have never done any of this shit but i'm going that direction right now so i i like that but it's also been extremely um it's a vulnerable feeling but i feel like that's also proof of concept you know if that works how about you Well, responding to the bit about broadcasting, I'd say that I've been learning how to not be the interviewer. 
which is to say that I'm learning how to not just let my Enneagram 5 drive the train. I'm learning how to not mask my vulnerability with knowledge about the subject. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm learning how to be more comfortable with how I'm seen in a public light. Mm-hmm. I've had to get comfortable with... <laughs> At first, I think it was which side of me does this showcase. <laughs> and then I had to get comfortable with this isn't to showcase me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to get comfortable with, well, this is inherently a spotlight on me and Matt and our ability to have these discussions. And since the point of the discussions is vulnerability and the universality of emotion, I would be a fool not to engage in the emotion more than I was when we first started, I think. So in that way, I would say the same, is that like engaging in the new broadcasting element of it has been to engage in the vulnerability and learn how that is only going to benefit the show in a cyclical way because if recording the show allows you to be more vulnerable then you'll be able to better record the show which will allow other people to be more vulnerable and understand what that's supposed to look like we have lived on the mountain since the first clouds broke we have all heard the thunder in its skies we have learned to take shelter should we say who we are? I realize we have not. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't, are you comfortable doing like a little bio? We should do each other's. Oh, okay. All right. That sounds be interesting. I'm more comfortable with that, yeah. So across from me is Joel Mungin. He's a cancer. He's a musician, a wonderful guitar player, wonderful songwriter, wonderful singer. He's a luscious head of hair. Mm-hmm. Fan of Corduroy. Mm-hmm. Fan mm-hmm. of Autumn. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've got a bitchin' station wagon. <laughs> I think it's incredible. Um, <laughs> he's a damn good baker. Makes a coffee that will knock you on your ass and make you tell the truth. <laughs> that is a good brew. Um, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, now I have to describe you. <clears throat> Across from me is the revered Matt Minigal. <laughs> An introverted folk player <laughs> whose star sign I do not know. He wears winter hats at inappropriate times of the year. <laughs> he spends at least one third of his life with headphones on. Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier today. Like how much, <laughs> how, what percentage of my life do I spend with headphones on? <laughs> I think it's inappropriate. <laughs> uh, it, it might be unhealthy. I sleep with them too, man. It's, it's like a good chunk of the day. <laughs> Uh, Matthew is a great writer of folk songs and punk songs alike. Uh, He's a producer. He has a great ear for what a song needs. 
Matthew has a deep appreciation for Christmas lights. Yeah. Makes a mean quesadilla. <laughs> it's perhaps better known in some circles for his quesadillas than for his music. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's often reflected in my finances and my lodgings. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're also a co-founder for Dedamello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the intro to our show. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the human condition and how the four pillars of existentialism inform our lives. Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production, and this episode was scored using two of Matt's songs that we recorded for Friday Night Folk, as well as some of my own. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you'll join us for the rest of the series. <laughs>